listening to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast with your hosts, John and Darren. Welcome to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast. I'm your host, John, and I'm here with my co-host, Darren. And on today's episode, we are going to be discussing Ozzy Osbourne's fifth studio album, No Rest for the Wicked. Released on September 28th, 1988, the album would introduce new guitar player Zach Wilde and welcome back bassist Bob Daisley. Produced by Roy Thomas Baker and Keith Olsen, the album would be hailed as a return to form for Ozzy after The Ultimate Sin, which some fans felt pandered a little bit too much to the then popular LA MTV glam metal scene. The singles Miracle Man, Breaking All the Rules and Crazy Babies would help propel the album to eventual double platinum status. A a part of Ozzy's Sabbath history would return when bassist Geezer Butler would join on bass for the album's tour. Okay, Darren, uh, no rest for the wicked. What Mm -hmm. are your memories and thoughts on this album? Good memories about it. Um, When we ended... Our podcast uh, for the ultimate sin. I I said in the beginning that that was where I kind of gave up on Ozzy. Saw him twice on that tour. I saw him once with Metallic, and I saw him again with Queensrÿche. And both times, I thought he was he was out of shape. Obviously, he was pretty dependent on drugs and alcohol or whatever whatever the influence he was under when he was performing and he couldn't remember the lyrics and he was just slopping. He just looked like he was a mess. And I didn't like the album very much. Um, I thought, like you said in your intro, that it kind of pandered to the LA glam thing. It, it sort of seemed like it lost, Ozzy lost the plot. I, I really, and I still do enjoy the first two albums. Um, Bark at the Moon, I'm sort of on the fence. I, I, I don't particularly care for it, but there's some things about it that I can appreciate it. It does kind of have a British rock vibe to it. And so I don't like it as much as the first two albums, but I do like it more than I like the ultimate sin. And one of my gripes about park at the moon was that there wasn't enough guitar. It was a lot of keyboards. And when you have somebody that's such a great keyboardist, like Don Airy, of course you want to get them involved in it as much as possible. But I thought it was a little bit too much. So then we had the ultimate sin and that was more guitar driven. It was really better for Jake. You heard more of Jake's playing. You heard more of his riffs. You heard more of his leads and, and he's probably the MVP of that album, but overall the style of music stylistically, it kind of shifted away from that British rock thing and got into a very American kind of a, a vibe and, and it just seemed kind of, kind of foreign. And then seeing him in concert, and he, he wasn't very good. So I remember walking away the second time I saw him. My friend and I were leaving the venue. It was at the Philadelphia Spectrum. We were leaving the venue, walking towards a car. And I was just like, Ozzy sucks, which for me to say was a pretty big <laughs> deal. But I was really disappointed. I, I felt like he wasn't really putting in even 50%, let alone 100%. And I was just really disappointed. In, and that's how, that's where I left things with Ozzy. But then a short time later, and I wasn't even really paying attention to anything that was happening in the press. I wasn't really even reading articles. I was mad. I was mad at Ozzy. And so I, and I moved on to other types of music and stuff. 
you know, I would see things, advertisements. I started seeing some of the pictures and the ad campaigns for No Rest for the Wicked. Then I heard about the new guitar player. I saw pictures of the new guitar player. I said, hmm, it looks kind of like Randy. I wonder, I wonder if that's, I wonder if he sounds like Randy. You know, I wonder if he has that kind of vibe. And so my curiosity was piqued. And the more I saw, then I started becoming aware of it. There was a couple of things that caught my attention and I started to, okay, well, and I turned my attention toward it. And I saw a poster for the album that was coming out. And I figured, what the hell? I'm, I'm going to buy the new Ozzy. But I didn't want to go all in. Normally, my, my pattern for buying things from my favorite bands was I would get it on every single format that was available. I would get it on, I would get it on vinyl. I would usually get it on a cassette. And if it was available on CD, I would most certainly get it on CD. With this, I only got it on cassette. And I remember uh, I was at school. I was in the city. And... I think the first show that they played was at the Tower Theater in 1988 or 89. It was right around the time the album came out. And I, I didn't go, but my friends in the dorm, some of them went and they just said it was incredible that Ozzy was on fire. New guitar player was, was awesome. And so I got the, got the album shortly after it came out, not right when it came out, but a little while later. And I really liked it right away. The guitar tone. I mean, it just, it grabbed me right away. And there was hardly any keyboards on it. Um, this is the album that I was ready for probably after diary in, in this context at, at this particular point in time, this is what I really wanted to hear instead of bark at the moon and the ultimate sin. Um, the only thing that's different about it, and I didn't notice it right away, but eventually I became aware of the fact that there was no doom and gloom or very little, if any, doom and gloom associated with this album. It, whereas the Ultimate Sin kind of had an L.A. vibe to it, this had not so much an L.A. glam vibe, but it definitely had an American sounding vibe to it. And I guess that was a lot of it due to the fact that we had a young American guitar player. Now we had a young American guitar player in Randy Rhodes too, but Randy Rhodes had more of a classical thing. He had more of a, even though he European. played quite right, even though he was in LA, he, there was something about his style that was a little bit more mature. Um, not to say that Zach was immature, but I don't think he was quite as mature as Randy. And so, but it, it was a good fit. Um, there was some flashy rock guitar associated with zach more so than than randy although randy could pull that off as well but it wasn't he didn't his whole thing wasn't about that with zach he was a flashy guitar player and this was before the annoying pinch harmonics completely took over so we're getting <laughs> back with big meaty ballsy riffs i mean right from the beginning of miracle man i remember i put that on and i heard a, that rap riff and I'm like, wow, this, this is pretty cool. This is this this is a good this is a good riff. This is a good tune, and the drums kicking in, good production, and then from song to song. I mean, the one song I didn't like, I still I like it more than I did initially, but I'm still not a big fan of it. Is Crazy Babies? I just think I just think the lyrics are dumb, and I don't like some of the thing the way that Ozzy sings it. Crazy babies <laughs> <laughs> and then the verse is kind of silly but the riff is cool you know if 
they can't fault can't fault Zach for that one. I mean, whoever put that song together, and I guess it was Bob Daisley. It just sounds so out of character for for Bob Daisley, but I don't know. But I've I've warmed up to it a little bit. It's fun. I can listen to it now and not cringe. I mean, it was to the point where I would have to fast forward it uh, beyond Crazy Babies. But man, there's a lot of great riffs on it. Um, Fire in the Sky was a song that I really didn't gravitate to initially. Um, but I've since really warmed up to it and I really like it. It's a good song. Um, and I like it. I like it a lot. It, it's one of my top five Ozzy records. And, uh, and, and I listen to it pretty frequently. You know, I mean, I, I guess probably like once a month or something, I'll get an urge to dust it off and put it on and it always satisfies. So yeah, I dig it. Uh, yeah, I was like you. I was uh, seeing the press for this for this new album, uh, seeing pictures of Zach, and it got me excited. I thought thought the same thing. He kind of looks like Randy. He's got the long the long blonde hair and everything. Maybe it will be sort of a return to the Blizzard Diary sound, which which is which is something that uh, a repeated theme that I would have pretty much after those albums was a constantly hoping that it would return to that sound, never returning to it 100% or even really close. Uh, but I was excited about it. Uh, this album comes at a interesting time for me in my heavy metal life. And as we move forward in the podcast, I'll start referencing this even more that uh, 1988, I graduated high school in 88, and I was starting to drift away from metal a little bit. Uh, I remember Iron Maiden's Seventh Son of a Seventh Son came out around this time. And I remember hearing Can I Play With Madness and just like being, ah, you know what, I'm just not going to get this album right now, not being excited about it. Uh, I don't remember what Priest was putting out around this time, probably Turbo. Right, was somewhere in around this time. I was, oh, it was earlier than, a little earlier than that. What, what ram it down? Could it have been ram it yeah. down around this time? Yeah, it was either turbo or ram it down. And I didn't really care for either of those records. And I was just kind of feeling a little burnt out on, on metal. And I remember also kind of feeling like Sabbath was going through all these different member changes. Uh, and even though I really liked the Eternal Idol, and we discussed that in our in our last podcast, uh, Seventh Star was an album that that I didn't really care for. So there were there were cracks were appearing in the armor of my my favorite bands. ACDC was releasing, I think, Blow Up Your Video right around this time. Yep. Fly on the Wall had just happened, and you know it was kind of like I was just starting to lose interest. But when this came out, I was still excited. Uh, at the time, I did really like uh, The Ultimate Sin. The Ultimate Sin has not aged particularly well for me, but at the time, I did like it. But I was kind of aware that uh you know it was flying a little too close to the la glam metal sun for for my personal taste so here was a new guitar player uh bob daisley's 
back uh, in the band on the album. I always loved Bob's playing and and Bob's lyrics and, and songwriting. Fortunately, Bob's bass is kind of lost in the mix on this record. You can't really hear a lot of what he's playing, but I was excited for it. When I got it like you, when I heard Miracle Man, I was really impressed. I thought the first thing that jumped out at me was the guitar tone. The Ultimate Sin had a very brittle, upper mid-rangey guitar sound. Yeah. Uh, this had a good old-fashioned, cranked, martial, chunky uh, sound to it. Uh, it sounded like Zach had layered the guitars on it. So it was nice and thick and nice and full. Uh, exactly what he so did. I thought the guitar sounded great. I thought the album just kind of comes just ripping out at you with, yep. with Miracle Man. It seemed really like, uh, you know, for those who, who may not remember or aren't old enough, uh, to know this, but at this time, these sort of televangelists and stuff were just all over television and Ozzy was like target number one. So for Ozzy to open up his record with, you know, taking, throwing a haymaker at Jimmy Swaggart and the yeah. televangelists was, felt really good. You yeah, know? And it was it like, did. yeah, Ozzy, you <laughs> put these guys in their place, man. So, so yeah, it was, it was exciting. And I thought yeah. the mix of the album, it had a lot of energy. The mix was good. Uh, but there was still sort of this nagging and you, you kind of said it and I, I kind of couldn't put it in words, but you, you, you said it kind of, I like the way you said it, that it's had sort of this American rock sound to it at times that I just didn't really care for. We're going to get into it song by song, spoiler sure. alert. I also hate crazy babies. Uh, I just hate that song. Uh <laughs> And there were just other moments on here too, where it just felt a little too, you know, it just made me yearn for that. I wish it could have had that little bit more of that European, British, yeah. <clears throat> you know, classical thing. And, uh, you know, Zach at this time, I, I, I do like his playing. I think his lead tone is fantastic. Like you mentioned, the pinch squeal thing has not reached critical mass like yeah. it would very quickly. You know, he's still sort of using it uh, sparingly uh, throughout, uh, throughout the album. Uh, but again, I don't know if it was just 1988 and I was starting to get a little fatigued with a lot of this stuff. And when people ask, I talk to people about this, they say, man, you got to understand that oh, in 1980, I started in 1980, 1979, 1980. And that's all I listened to was Maiden, Priest, Dio, Sabbath, Ozzy, ACDC. I mean, that's the only thing that I consumed. So by the time 88 rolled around, I was getting a little bit fatigued, like with listening when I heard Iron Maiden going, dun, 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 you know, and again, I was just kind of like, man, I'm just starting to get tired of this. So I drifted away from metal for, for a few years, like right around when I went to college, basically 89 till about 92. But I still like this record. It's the last Ozzy. This is the end of an era uh, with Ozzy for me it's the last album that has any kind of feel like old ozzy when when we start get into our no more tears uh episode to me that's when ozzy really moves away from the whole devils and bats and castles and stuff yeah. like that he's still doing that here i'm still liking that i i like that kind of stuff as an 18 year old kid i really liked that that kind of stuff the album cover i thought was cool whereas the cover of the ultimate sin felt kind of cartoonish to me i didn't like all the reds and bright colors on that on yeah. that never liked the ultimate sin album cover uh 
but this one was kind of cool. It's got Ozzy sitting on that throne or whatever. And the, it, it just had a kind of a gothic E capital G uh, feel to it. And, uh, you, you know, again, some of the song titles did were kind of a little dark bloodbath and paradise and fire in the sky and, and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I like the record and it's an album that actually has, as time has gone on, I, I find myself listening to this album a lot because uh, there aren't really many songs on here. I, I'm going to say you don't hear really any of these songs on classic rock radio today. I mean, maybe Miracle Man every now and then you do hear that. And that was a big video, you know, for it got a lot of, uh, you know, play on MTV at the time. So I'm not really burnt out on this record. It's it's not like hearing Crazy Train or the, the, those songs that I've heard them 8 million times. It kind of feels like an album that I can, can, can come back to and uh, really dig into it and enjoy it. And it's an album that, whereas The Ultimate Sin, I like it less and less through the years no rest for the wicked i've really grown to to appreciate this record and it and it is for me it's the end of i think ozzy would really turn a a new turn the page and start a new chapter in his career starting with no more tears so this is the last just like the eternal idol is the last sort of black sabbath album that i could even connect to earlier Black Sabbath records. This is the last Ozzy album that I feel I can connect to any of the earlier uh, Ozzy solo albums. So, I think this <clears throat> is like almost a precursor to No More Tears. Even now, listening to it in the current context, I could hear things that would are like the preliminary sounds or strains, first strains of what would develop later into no more tears for me anyway like breaking all the rules that yeah that sounds like a song that I could agree. possibly even be on no more tears and also zach very strong presence and <clears throat> i want to talk about zach a little bit because i i'm really fascinated with him as a person how he entered into this situation i'm really i really admire him i and i always thought i don't like black label society I do like Pride and Glory. I think the Pride and Glory thing was pretty cool. And I still do listen to it. I love the drummer, Brian Tichy. I think he's, he's phenomenal. Um, so Pride and Glory, I, I think, is pretty cool. But the, the way Zach came into this thing, he was a kid, man. And uh, he was discovered by a guy that came to a show where he was playing his band, Zyrus. And I'm really close to new jersey and i never heard of zyrus zyrus <laughs> they were a popular bit i never heard of zyrus but zach's wild real name is what jeff wyland or something yeah, yeah something. and then and so he he's a kid man he's like 19 years old and it, it this the scenario is almost it kind of reminds me a little bit of rock star um he's a guy in new jersey and yeah. he's slugging it out in the clubs. And he's, a, he's obviously a great guitar player. And his girlfriend, you know, she's like his biggest fan. And they hear Ozzy on Stern one day. And Ozzy's saying that Jake's out of the band and are looking for a new guitar player. And his girlfriend, or soon to eventually would be his wife, Barb, says, you should, you should audition. He's like, oh, yeah, right. I, yeah, I'm gonna, like, I'm going to get that gig. But lo and behold, 
he plays a show a few months later and a guy shows up that knows photographer Mark Weiss. And of course, Mark Weiss was, you know, had been taking a lot of photographs of Ozzy for like Hit Parader and Faces, Rip Magazine. He's the, everybody knows who Mark. If you lived in the 80s, Mm-hmm. And you read a rock, opened a rock magazine or, or yeah. bought a poster, you know who Mark Weiss is. So this guy, Dan Feld, I think his name is. I got some notes here. Dan Feld comes up to Zach after a show they played at some place in Sayreville, New Jersey, and said, Hey, man, did you ever think about auditioning for Ozzy? And of course, Zach was like, Yeah, right. Yeah, I'll never get that gig. And he's like, Well, I know a guy. So you can give me a demo tape. I'll get it to this guy. He's a photographer. His name is Mark Weiss. And he works with Ozzy. He's in contact with Ozzy. And I can't, I'm not going to make any promises. But, you know, I, I'll do my best because you're good. And you deserve, you deserve a break. You know, you deserve a break today. You deserve <laughs> a break. You're, you're a great guitar player. And I'd like to see, I'd like to help you. So Zach goes and he makes this demo tape, Jeff at this point. And he's got two boom boxes and he records this demo tape with two boom boxes first he lays the rhythm tracks out he records that then he does a lead he's playing the rhythm on the one boom boom box while he records his leads to the rhythm that he recorded on the first boom box he's recording his leads on the second boom box <laughs> like then he yeah he somehow he, then he takes the second tape and that's <laughs> his audition tape that's what he gives to ozzy or he gives to this guy, Dan Feld, that gives it to Mark Weiss, who and then and actually does give it to Ozzy. Ozzy ends up with it. They take a photograph. They put the photograph with the package. And this is where it reminds me of a rock star. So this thing lands on the desk of whoever it is that's going through 400 submissions. Yeah. Lands this is on the, the hottest desk. gig in town at, the, at this time. And this yeah. is the era of the and guitar again- shredder. Yeah, so, he's up against some hot, uh, some, some stiff competition. These guys, Mitch yeah. Perry was in, in, in the mix at one point. Uh, Joe Holmes, it makes yeah. his first, you know, appearance here in the uh, in the running. Um, Vinnie Moore, I think, was a contender too. But but Zach, Zach gets the call from from Sharon, and this is like in a scenario that would be like in Rockstar. You, know, you can't believe it, and <laughs> you know, and it, he didn't believe it. even after he got the phone call. He thought it was one of his friends putting his mom mom. up to it playing playing a practical joke but that he got he got the plane tickets in the mail and he went there but this is what i admire about him he has such a great attitude you would think that if it was me or anybody that i know most people i think you would be so intimidated by and he was a sabbath fan he was a ozzy and sabbath fan he had pictures he listened to their music he listened he knew he knew the licks he knew the leads so he was a fan to not be intimidated by that situation, get on an airplane, fly out there, audition and, and, and knock him dead. I think I'm, I'm really in awe of that. And then he just was so, and he, he remains really humble about it. He's very loyal to Ozzy as well. He should yeah. be, you know, but yeah. he's, he's very loyal to him. Um, he doesn't get involved with things that aren't any of his business. Yeah. Still, he was friends with Bob Daisley. And he knew that there was stuff going on in the business side of things, but he maintained, you know, a friendship with Bob Daisley, even though he knew that the Aussies were doing the dirty deal on him. He's like, Hey man, that's none of my business. I'm not getting involved in it. So even though he seems like he was kind of naive and sort of, you know, maybe you could, could say a little bit dumb. 
it, it seemed to work because he brought the talent, came in uh, unintimidated, just ripped into these these riffs and and basically shaped this album. I mean, he is the yeah. MVP of this album, this young kid, 19 years old when he joined the band, 1987. Zach left, or um, sorry, Jake left. They fired him, actually. Fired Jake, started having auditions. 1987, they got Zach in the band. Kid. And he, he just he blows the shit away. And the other thing is, so they started working with Mark Roy Thomas Baker. And Roy Thomas Baker, as most people listening to this might know, was the big time producer. He produced Queen. He worked with Brian. Yeah. Day. Whatever was going on with Roy Thomas Baker, it was not the Roy Thomas Baker that they expected to come in and produce this album. Wasn't really interested. I don't know. Nobody really knows what was going on. But some people assert that he was just having a in his personal life he was having a hard time could have been due to drugs it was lifestyle choice could have been something some kind of relationship issues but whatever he wasn't really involved so he kind of did like a a phoned in production on this on the first preliminary version of this record and zach being as inexperienced and, and young and everything as he was still was assertive enough to say hey i don't like the way my guitar sounds on this it goes in one of the scenes as he or the scenarios as he goes into the control room and Roy Thomas Baker's sitting there and he's playing with a pencil. He's tapping a pencil on the desk and Zach goes in and he says, Hey man, hey Roy, uh, I have a favor to ask. Would it be possible to redo some guitar? Without turning around, he's looking down at the console and Roy Thomas Baker says, Sure, which song would you like to do? And he's like, Well. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> and then with that, didn't say a word, beats the pencil on the desk a couple of times, throws it up in the air and sticks it to the ceiling, walks out of the room. <laughs> the assistant's like, oh, you made a big mistake. <laughs> that was the wrong thing to do. But Zach, rather than being intimidated to the situation, was like, the hell with that. I don't I don't like the way it sounds. This is this is my, you know, it's my shot. This is my yeah. thing. This is what my dream and i'm going to make it happen and i'm going to make it a reality so the another guy steps in keith the keith olsen is that his name yeah yeah so keith olsen comes in and he saves the day but he works with zach zach knew the kind of sound he wanted he referenced ronnie lee ronnie is it ronnie lee Tikro, dude from tnt yeah um the second album they did, I guess Zach really liked the tone that he had, but he also made a checklist of things he wasn't going to do. He wasn't going to shred. It wasn't going to do sweeping arpeggios, arpeggios, or any of the things that you know some of the hotshot, more flamboyant guitarists, guitarists were going to do. He was going to be himself. He was going to play from the heart. And he was listening to other things too. He was listening to like some country and he liked the finger picking things. And so there wasn't a lot of that guitar hero type flash on Zach's playing on this, which I appreciate because there was a lot of that going on at this particular time. And it was like, there was a lot of meat and potatoes type uh, of, of riffs going on. And, and, and Keith Olson helped him acquire that. He got him hooked up with a Marshall JCM 800 and playing out of a couple Marshall cabinets and double track the rhythm yeah. guitars. It made it really full. And when you say that, you think that Bob Daisley, and, and I agree that Bob Daisley really isn't as audible on this as he was in maybe the first two albums, the Blizzard and Diary. 
probably because Zach's guitar is just so big on this yeah. album. And I think that's kind of what this album needed. I, I think that Ozzy in his career at this point needed the guitar player like Zach. And lo and behold, it was in the form of this 19-year-old inexperienced kid, but went for it. He went for it not only as far as like, you know, taking charge of the situation, but also in the studio saying, hey, man, you know, I want my guitar to sound. I want to be on this album. And I have a, I have a, I have a sound in my mind and I want, I want it to be that way on the album. And then working it out with Keith Olsen and they remixed the album. They redid basically everything that Roy Thomas Baker did or didn't do, however you want to qualify, and made the album sound of the way that it did with, with Keith Olsen. So they say that it was produced by the two guys. Really, I, I think that it was mostly produced by Keith Olsen. I think that the end result, the final result that every, ended up in everyone's hands was the result of Keith Olsen's mix on that, on that final production stage stage of the production of the album but i think and i never really thought that much about zach as far as i didn't really know a lot of the backstory at the time you know i had heard probably on mtv or something that ozzy had a new guitar player and he was this young kid he started seeing pictures of zach and i'm like ah look at him he's just like a pretty boy he probably got he probably he, he looks a little bit like Randy. They probably got him because he looked a little bit like Randy Rhodes, blonde-haired guy, young guy, kind of skinny. And I thought, well, you know, it's all it's all an appearance. And and I, I just didn't really think that that there was much of a backstory to it. But once I I found out about it, and uh, and even how he got his name was it's kind of interesting. It, once he started, once he was in the band and they were recording and everything. Um, of course, part of the ritual was they would, would drink in the morning, record all day, and close the bar at night. And then at this point, Zach was still going by Jeff, but he had changed his name to Zach, but he kept the same last name. It wasn't even his real last name. It was his stage, his original stage last name of Wyatt. <laughs> so it was Jeff Wyland hard to pronounce but then he became jeff wyatt and then he changed his his first name to zach because his girlfriend said that if they ever had a son she wanted his the son's name to be zach so he just took he thought the name sounded great so he just took it upon himself to, to name himself zach so it was zach wyatt but then one night they're at a bar and ozzy's like you know the name's got to go. He's like, I can't see that on the marquee. Ozzy Osbourne and Zach Wyatt. <laughs> so according to Zach, they're, they're watching a MTV or watching videos or something. And Kim Wilde, Kids in America. Yeah. Heard a song MTV. The Kim Wilde video comes on. He's like, hey, Oz, how about if I call myself Wilde? Zach Wilde. He's like, that's it. That works. Sure. <laughs> Zach Wilde. And that Zach Wilde was born. But he actually, Zach got his name Wilde from the Kim Wilde. Kim Interesting. Wilde. And he said, uh, I even kind of looked like her at the time. <laughs> I think I took more than just her name. I also took her look. But I, I couldn't get into like the uh, the album, talking about the album without giving a, a, a special mention, giving some attention to Zach, because I, I, think it, I think it's really cool. I think the story is, is really cool. 
it's kind of a fairy tale kind of a thing. Yeah. He's still with us. You know, he's still with Ozzy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know and what I, I've always I've always liked about Zach is, uh, you know, he, he, you mentioned when he was recording the album, I've heard him say that his mindset was like, I'm not going to be, I I'm the new guy. I'm not going to be the guy who ruins an Ozzy Osbourne album. Right. You know, he knew like, and Zach has always been very respectful of Ozzy and Ozzy's history and Ozzy's past his, he, the previous guitar players, Randy, Jake, he was a fan. He still to this day talks about them with respect. He's a huge Black Sabbath fan. Then yeah. now he has his Zach Sabbath thing now. Uh, and I remember hearing a story where he said he was, I guess, when he eventually did get to audition in person, I guess there were some other guys there and it was some older veterans and stuff like that showing up trying to get the gig and did they were sort of standing around in the hallway and these guys were like man it's just a gig i don't even like black sabbath you know i just want to land the gig and 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 zach was like what do you mean like why would you even be here you know like i love sabbath i love randy i love i love ozzy's uh -huh. like that's that's why i'm here and i and i think that zach always uh you know, he comes across as, 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 as like a fan also. And he's just, he also comes across as a very down to earth, uh, you know, guy that you'd want to sit down and, and have a drink with. I, I saw pride and glory. And when his set was done, he packed up his guitar and he just grabbed a beer and he just walked out yeah. and stood in the crowd. You know, I saw him too. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know I mean? He was just like, just like any, anybody else. And uh, I also remember around that time, he uh i knew a guy that owned a music store and he did a guitar clinic uh, zach did a guitar clinic at this guy's music store and uh zach was there and the people were all there for the clinic but they were waiting for a, a pa system to show up so the guy that owned the store was telling me the story that his wife showed up with the pa system he was somewhere else trying to get some other things that they needed so his wife showed up with the PA system and she opens up the back of the truck and she's grabbing things and she's moving things in. And Zach looks around and he goes, what are you all doing? Get out there and help her. And so Zach and all the people in the crowd went, got in the truck, dragged the PA out. And they said, Zach was there with everybody else, lifting up amps and moving things in and hooking up wires and helping, helping this lady set it up. So, so he always comes across as a real down to earth guy. And he was probably the right guitar player at that time for Ozzy. You know, we mentioned this is 1988, the whole LA glam, the whole guitar shredder thing, LA hotshot guitar players are are just on every street corner. Uh, Ozzy could have easily have gotten some guy that maybe had a bit of an ego or not really a team player. So Zach was the right guy. You know, he comes in, he respects Ozzy's history and heritage, uh, comes in with the right attitude. And Zach has kept that attitude. You know, he's, yeah. he's never, he's never changed. I, especially, this is my favorite album of his for his playing because you mentioned the whole like kind of country thing that that for me doesn't really kick in with him until no more tears. Mm -hmm. And I do respect him for, and he says this, he says it when he came into Ozzy's band, he looked and he said, all right, well, Randy was doing the classical mixing the classical in 
into the sound thing. Uh, Jake was the real kind of like, uh, you know, how would you describe it? Like acrobatic, you know, trickster like noises and very technical type of playing. And he said, you know, I, I, I've got to carve out my own sound. And so Zach sort of went back to this Rory Gallagher kind of bluesy, uh, Gary Moore mm-hmm. kind of fast pentatonic bluesy blues scale runs and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and he would really start incorporating more of that sort of chicken picking and country type thing, I think, on the No More Tears record. And for me personally, I mean, I respect Zach for for carving out his own sound and his heart was in that, you know, the whole Leonard Skinner, Southern rock kind of thing, thus resulting in pride and glory being proof of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me personally, I mean, we'll, we'll get into this, of course, when we get to the, uh, No More Tears. I, I didn't really like that i don't really like want to hear chicken picking <laughs> with with ozzy i would prefer somebody to give me some good old-fashioned you know european michael shanker Oli roth style uh sound but here on this album i think he sounds fantastic he has tons of energy he's got the technical flash but he has a lot of feeling he has yeah. a lot of uh enough rooted in sort of the old school style blues rock playing which now doesn't seem to be that big of a deal but again in 1988 it was just everybody was you know paul gilbert and all these guys just like playing 100 miles an hour eight finger tapping and whammy bars and weird noises and all this kind of stuff and zach kind of came in with a enough flash to establish his name amongst all the uh guitar shredders at the time but with a a foot planted in sort of that blues hard rock 70s uh style of of playing you know in a way he sort of puts a modern spin on uh the sort of blues 70s hard rock playing and he talks about you know his influences are like rory gallagher and uh john mclaughlin and uh 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 who am i thinking of uh Oh man, uh, darn it. He's a huge, he's a huge fan of them. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll think of it later, but, uh, Frank, Frank Marino, Frank Marino, that's something okay. he's a huge Frank Marino fan. When I hear Zach, especially on no rest for the wicked, I hear a lot of like Frank Marino, uh, in his sound. So, so I, I think it was perfect and it was enough to keep Ozzy relevant without it sounding like he was again, like on ultimate sin. It felt like he was kind of trying to play to that LA glam crowd uh, Zach was the right guy at, at the, at the right time. And he, he brought a lot of energy and he's just all over this record, man. There's riffs galore, uh, on it. His sound is really, really solid to me. It's, it's, it's a pretty straightforward guitar sound, but it's really meaty and it's really heavy. Uh, a little bit of a complaint about the drum sound. I mean, this is uh, Randy Castillo on drums and it's sort of the same complaint that I had with the eternal idol. And this is just a product of that time and era that gated snare sound where anytime you try to do any kind of fast snare thing, it just sounds bizarre when it's just doing like one hit, boom, chick, boom, chick, the snare sounds okay. But anytime there's like a type of thing, it gets really kind of weird sounding. Uh, to my ears, but uh, yeah. And, and like you mentioned, the keyboards were sort of dialed back on this and credit to Zach, you know, we, we both said that bark at the moon didn't have enough guitar for our personal taste. 
Why was that? Was that a producer decision? Was that Jake not really being confident in the studio or not knowing what he wanted in the studio? I don't know. We don't know the answer to that. But Zach came into this and wanted to put his name and his stamp on. He could have came in real sort of like, hey, this is Ozzy Osbourne's band. I'm just going to kind of quietly sit back and do what everybody tells me and, you know, just play it real safe. It doesn't feel like that at all. Sounds like Zach came in and, and really you know, established himself. And another, another point to uh, Bob Daisley, we mentioned it's a little hard to hear Bob's bass on this, on this album, but it also reaffirms to me how important Bob was to the sound of the band. Uh, And when we get into the individual songs, I'll mention this more. And Bob talks about how he pretty much did this wrote this album, helped write this album the same way he did all the previous ones. He sitting on a sofa with Zach right next to him there. They didn't even have amplifiers. They would just sit there and Bob would say, hit me with whatever you got. He would string together the riffs, try repeat this, you know, why don't you add this? Why don't you try going here with, with this? And, uh, you know, I can hear this consistent thread through with with Bob. And even though Bob uh, doesn't play on The Ultimate Sin, he is involved in the writing. Uh, but I, I can just hear, it just reaffirms to me that Bob was an important thread through all these, these early Ozzy albums. And that might also be another reason why this feels like the end of an era for me with Ozzy because this is the last album that Bob Daisley would be involved songwriting wise. He would play bass on No More Tears, but he wasn't involved in any of the songwriting on No More Tears. So this is the last time Bob is uh, involved as a songwriter with Ozzy. And uh, I think that that's, that's something that's important. Yeah. There, there is definitely a marked difference in with regard to the lyrics um, and, and some of the vibe from the previous or from, I could say, the preceding era before No More Tears, there, there is some, some noticeable characteristics that are kind of absent. Um, but I think the thing about it is that it, it seemed like in the way that Zach described it, he said that they would, he would bust out some riffs and Randy would be there. Randy would say, oh, that's a cool riff. Let's work on that. And then Bob would be playing bass and he'd have some ideas for structuring things, like you said, stringing things together. He said, and Zach does give Ozzy credit. Ozzy would come in once he heard something, he'd get excited. Maybe he'd hear a riff and he'd get excited and he'd come in. And usually whatever the first thing that Ozzy would, he wouldn't sing any lyrics or maybe he'd have a particular line or something. And then he would, but he would build a melody around what he heard. And then Zach would say, well, we'd pack up and then, you know, we'd start to, going back to the hotel or something like that. And he's like, I remember most times when I was leaving, I'd see Bob down sitting by the pool with a pad and the paper, listening to, you know, what we did on tape recorder and fleshing out these lyrics. And he's like, and I was always thought, wow, that was cool. You know, seeing this guy that wrote the lyrics to, we had such a big part of the albums that I, that I love, yeah. I worship Blizzard and Diary working on this thing that I'm involved in. Uh, so that was pretty, pretty cool little, little tidbit, little factoid. But yeah, this is the last one that Bob would be in. But, you know, Bob has such a massive part in Blizzard and Diary. And then as things 
came to where we are now, it's almost like, and maybe it's because he was involved in a lot of other things too. He's playing full-time with Gary Moore's band. Right before this, he was involved with Sabbath. Some of that personality that was in Blizzard and Diary, I don't hear too much of that. On, I mean, maybe a little bit in Bark at the Moon. Uh, I definitely don't hear any kind of the lyric. We, we, we talked about when we did our Ultimate Sin podcast, how silly the lyrics are. Yeah, rock, that one rock, is the rock. one at exception here that it does sound like that one stands out for me as not really yeah. sounding like the other the other ones. Whereas No Rest, like you said, No Rest could have been the album that followed diary or it could have been the album that followed bark at the moon and it would have made a little bit more sense continuity yeah wise but there's good lyrics here there's there's some bob daisley they, they, they sound more like it just didn't even seem like he was the lyrics that he wrote for the ultimate sin with the exception of maybe killer of giants and maybe thank god for the bomb those are the only two that really pop in my mind that might be half decent i mean there's like lightning strikes and um well shot in the dark you don't think he wrote the lyrics for that i think bill swasson we went to yeah. the whole story about that it was the band fm and the song that that bill swasson uh pretty much took ownership of but um on this one it gets back into some of the more and you're right this is the last one where there would really be like that imagery that gothic kind of imagery and it it's here and it's here in the lyrics but what's funny is the music isn't dark even though the lyrics and some songs are pretty yeah. dark the, the music kind of counter is a counterbalance there so even like bloodbath and paradise yeah dark subject matter but it's a party song you know it's like you know it's driving it's rocking it's like yeah throw your beer against the wall while they're singing about Charles Manson. So there's a little bit of a strange dynamic going on, but you're right there. This is probably the last of the Daisley British influence literary kind of a thing going on here. Is yeah. On and after this album, Ozzy would, I mean, in no rest or uh, no more tears, he, he didn't really have, you know, Lemmy helps write some of the lyrics, on yeah. that. but as time goes on, with Ozzy's band, he brings starts bringing in more and more outside songwriters, and it starts becoming less of a band thing, and it starts sure. becoming more of a studio produced outside songwriter thing. Uh, whereas here, this is still really a band, and you just described it in the room playing riffs, working out songs together, working it out as a band, and and probably the reason why the album, you know, maybe didn't grabbed me as much when I first heard it back then was what you just described. It didn't quite have enough dark sounding stuff on it. For me, I wanted a little bit more doom and gloom. I need, you know, that's why I'm a huge, that's why we're huge Black Sabbath fans. You know, yeah. we talked about the Eternal Idol that had, you know, a bunch of moments that were doomy and gloomy. And it, I was sort of missing some of that, some of that, uh, some of that on here but uh, lyrically at least there's some nods to this kind of stuff even if the music doesn't always quite match the uh lyrical subject matter and this would be something that ozzy would get away from 
<clears throat> and never really, never really returned to, you know, he would never, re- and, and he mentions that, that it was a conscious thing to sure. get away from the whole guy who bites the head off of bats and talks about devils and, you know, yeah. werewolves and, and things like that. Even so, though there's a lot of that sort of imagery on the album cover. I mean, yeah, well, he's still into it before. right here, but this would be yeah. when he goes into no more tears. I've heard him say that it was a conscious thing to yeah. like, okay, I got to leave that behind. But here now he's still got that going on. And maybe that's also Bob Daisley, you know, Bob's big horror hammer uh, fan and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, Ozzy is almost seems like he's kind of indecisive about that. On one hand, he'll call himself the Prince of Darkness and he'll do photo shoots where he's sitting in a in a wooden yeah. throne but then the music kind of has more of a less of a dark demonic contradictory to what you would think would be something that the prince of darkness would be putting out so it's like he's kind of indecisive about that but i guess that's an image that he's kind of created and he embraces it and plays around with that from time to time but you're right this is probably the last album where we we actually see it on the cover. It's within the lyrics and it's part of the musical concept moving forward. It's not so much part of the musical concept anymore. Yeah. All right. Well, how about we move into the songs then? So the album starts with Miracle Man and I had mentioned this this earlier. I think it's a great, great album open. That riff just comes jumping right out at you comes roaring out of your speakers. Uh, the lyrics are fantastic. As I said earlier, if you're too young uh, to, to, to know about this, this was the era of the t- TV televangelists, guys on TV pounding their fists on a, on a, you know, on a pulpit or whatever, uh, singing about the evils of the world. And one of the big evils of the world was heavy metal. And Ozzy Osbourne was, it was to a lot of these guys, sort of the guy that represented heavy metal. So Ozzy was a huge target to these mm-hmm. people. And Jimmy Swaggart was a particular guy who really, you know, went after Ozzy. And then of course, like what happens with most of these guys, you find out they're not as holy as they uh, right. pretend like they are. Jimmy Swaggart gets involved in, I believe yeah. it was uh, some sort of scandal with a prostitute or something, uh-huh. something like that. And yeah. uh, Ozzy writes a song about it. And I think it's just uh, fantastic. You know, the lyrics are, Great in it, Ozzy's, you know, spitting venom uh, on it. Like, I love when he sings. Well, the chorus of it is just great. Miracle Man got busted. And that whole robotic uh, vocoder sounding miracle man, you know, that's yeah. that's great. I love it. Uh, the lyrics are just great. Uh, you know, uh, uh, what's the one... Uh, uh, oh, I, I don't know. I'm looking at the lyrics right now, but you know, uh, you know, he's a hypocrite. Uh, uh, I don't know where he'll come from. I don't know where he's been, but he's not our Jimmy Sinner because he's so obscene. You know, Miracle Man got busted. Uh, that line is just the way he just sings out is just great. And Zach's solo in this, I I love his solo in this. Oh yeah, yeah. His solo is is as as time would go on. You mentioned it earlier that you don't care for Black Label Society. Neither do I. And the reason why I think Zach's 
playing is at his best when he's with Ozzy is because it seems like he thinks out his solos more with Ozzy. And this is a good example of that. Like there's these really cool, like sort of arpeggio runs that he does mm -hmm. in this. He's, his, he's, he's right away, right from the beginning, you know, real signature Zach things. He's really big, huge bends, you know, that, yeah. that, that are like exploding out of his, yeah, exploding out of the, the amplifier. And I don't know if that's sort of the influence of a producer or it's just Zach approaches when he's with Ozzy differently, but this is just a fantastic uh, guitar solo. Love the love the energy in it. Uh, love Ozzy's uh, deliver. Oh, I know the line that I was looking for. The uh, when he says a self righteous clown. Self -righteous, <laughs> you know, yeah. That's just yeah. that's just a great line, man. And it's it's uh, it's just great. And and I guess it's one of those things you had to be there, but uh, it just felt really good for Ozzy to come out swinging like this at Jimmy Swing. This was a real fresh thing. Jimmy Swagger getting busted like this. This was, you know, news of the day. And Ozzy was just, the timing was just perfect for Ozzy to, you know, to take a swing at him. And he just, he, he lands, he lands a good, good one here on a Jimmy Swagger and all these televangelists. So awesome album opener. Yeah. It's a great album opener. Love the riff. Like you said, it's just, reaches out and grabs you right off the bat. And that, that's what a good album opener does. It draws you in, it pulls you into the album. It definitely does that. It introduces Zach in a, in a really big way. Lyrically, we're getting into now some foreign territory because Ozzy's, this is a personal thing, obviously. You know, yeah. like, Ozzy was a target of the televangelists and the PMRC and what have you, all the things that were going on in the background uh, in the 80s. So he had a bone, to, a bone to pick. And when Jimmy Swagger got you know, busted with a prostitute, then, of course, he took full advantage of that. I guess Bob Daisley did, Ozzy's permission, of course. But it's the first time that there's actually anything that's socially relevant, a topical in the current events or anything. Yeah. This is the first time it makes an appearance. So right off the bat, it's kind of like, it's, it's weird. It introduces a different thing in the Ozzy canon here. It, and and I like it. It's it's good. But we've definitely, with Miracle Man, first song on the album, lyrical content, we've turned a corner on this song. So right off the bat, you you know that you're you're heading into some uncharted territory. Um, but everything you said about the song, I totally agree with. I love the I love the solo. It's so well uh, phrased, and and for a young guy, it, it sounds mature. It, it serves the song, and I'm a big guy that loves the solos that serve the song. I'm not a good guitar player i say that every single podcast but i mean that in a way where i'm not listening to guitar solos as far as technical expertise or flash or effects or anything like that all that stuff goes right by me i don't understand it i don't even care about it what i care about is that when it comes time for the solo it fits in with the song it adds to the song and it has a melody and it's phrased properly that's what i listen to and believe me i love a good guitar solo my favorite guitar player probably michael shanker i think i've mentioned that a few times as well i love the way he phrases things i love the way he incorporates technical ability with just good taste and a musical ear and serves the song and that's the kind of solo that's going on here on miracle man i think the video came out before the album if i'm not mistaken or maybe at the right right, right around the same time i i'm pretty sure that the, the video came out before the record was released, at least in the U.S. And, you know, there's somebody in that video 
that I think surprised some people because it was sort of on the down low a little bit. Of course, it's hard to keep anything in the Aussie camp on the down low, <laughs> like press working overtime. But Geezer Butler is in the video for Miracle Man. And so okay. we see that Geezer Butler is yeah. in Ozzy's band. So now we yeah. already have half a Black Sabbath. We have more members in Ozzy's band yeah. than we do. We have more Black Sabbath members in Ozzy's band than we do in Black Sabbath at this point. And Geezer's there and he's doing his thing where you know how he holds that bass and he rocks the neck yeah. back and forth. And it's like, yeah, what's going on? It's Geezer Butler. So that adds yeah. some excitement. Uh, so the video in conjunction with the song and if that was your first exposure, like it was mine. I, I didn't have the album yet. I saw the video and I saw Geezer and I'm like, oh my God, is that Geezer Butler? And of course, you know, camera focuses on Geezer quite a few times and they want you to know that's Geezer Butler. So <laughs> Geezer Butler very clearly. And the video, of course, is it's funny. You know, it, it, it has some British humor with the pigs and everything yeah. and holding up the cross with the dollar sign. There's some Monty Python-ish type of things with, pretty slick production qualities but uh, yeah just to add to what you said about miracle man uh, the only thing i can really say is that i agree and that the video really really sells it you know hearing it is one thing but then seeing it and all the visuals and then of course seeing geezer pretty exciting so it only adds to the excitement of the song miracle man yeah, it's surprising that uh, you mentioned the video. That video got a ton of uh, play on MTV, but it's yeah. a song that Ozzy has not played I know. live. I'm looking right now at uh, setlist.fm and the statistics for that particular song. In 1992, he played it 48 times. He didn't play it again till 2003 when he played it four times. And that's the last time it's ever been played. So it's kind of shocking to me that that's a song that uh, really after this tour, he, he never played it. And in my opinion, it's it was probably the biggest, most recognizable song from this album. So a little surprising that uh, it's a song that didn't uh, pop up in the set list uh, more after, you know, after the tour for this particular yeah, album. Big so. song, big single song. All right. Well, devil's daughter. Uh, I like this one. It's maybe what you were describing earlier about, you know, the title is pretty heavy, but the music inside it is not really particularly heavy, but I guess the riffs are pretty cool. Uh, I don't really care. like the, uh, yeah, like the way in the, in the chorus he's watching you, watching you mm -hmm. like that, that whole thing is, is, I don't know, kind of doesn't work for me. I like the part in the song where it breaks down mm -hmm. and there's that crying baby noise or whatever. Yeah. And there's like, what sounds like a goat mm -hmm. or something, you know, that that's, pretty that's really creative. That's a creative part of the yeah, song. That, yeah. That's pretty creepy and, and everything. And that works with, with the mood of the song, but uh, yeah, it, it's a good song. It, it's not my favorite yeah. song on the album. No, there's certainly nothing wrong with it. It's not a highlight for me, but it's a great follow-up to Miracle Man. It keeps the energy flowing. It's got a good riff. Um, you know, the whole breakdown, breakdown and cry. Yeah. Kind of sing-songy. Uh, so it has kind of a happy sound. The lyrics, in another context, are dark enough where they could have been a doomy song. I mean, yeah. the lyrics apart from the music, you know, the, the some of the phrasing and, and, and things are, are pretty dark, but the music is definitely not. But it's 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 a good song. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just a little bit more. I wouldn't say light because it's heavy. 
you got a heavy guitar tone. Zach, of course, is, you know, soloing. Another great solo in this song. The riff is cool. The riff is heavy. Um, but it has more of a, uh, I don't know, it, it's not very dark. It, it, it has... It's the melody line that sort of sabotage that takes away from that a little bit. Even the verse, like, yeah. "Well, I know where you live." I yeah, that's, that's kind of odd. Though. It's kind of creepy. I know where you live. Yeah, kind of has that's... that, you know, that creepy thing. But then it, the, the chorus, devil, you know, the chorus is definitely more on the lighter side. That this is where I think it comes into the American rock sound, right? Yeah, here. American, very American sounding. But good second song on the, on side one. You know, we got some some tasty guitar work on Miracle Man, and it continues into Devil's Daughter. So it's not just a one-off album yeah. opener, and then it kind of like peters out. It it's going, it's moving along. Yeah, I will say that it does keep the energy up, like you mentioned. Okay, next, uh, Crazy Babies. I do not like this song. I I do not like these lyrics. I hate the whole the way Ozzy at the beginning of this. It just makes me cringe when he does it. Crazy Babies. And then he does it's, it even worse. Yeah. Later uh, on in the song. And, and the way he sort of repeats it, like cr- cr- crazy babies never say die, born to live on a permanent high. It's like, oh, and this uh, nobody's going to change them. They're Dang gone. Them. They've gone over the top. Walk that walk. Do, do, oh, do. I know. It's horrible. It's, it's so oh, I, I hate it. I absolutely hate it. And uh, it's not like, it's not like Ozzy never does this kind of blues sort of bluesy rock type like no bone movies is a straight ahead rock tune yeah okay the guitar riff it's it's blues straight ahead blues rock randy's even playing a slide guitar in that song but there's something about the vibe and the feel of no bone movies that that is just different than this this yeah no bone movies has kind of a cool it still has a little bit of a dark feel to it uh but this is just kind of like i don't know so straight ahead that it just absolutely doesn't doesn't work for me i never liked this song from the first time that i heard it and it it it, i mean i'm not going to say it ruins ruins the record for me but it was it was sort of a jolt i remember hearing it for the first time and really being like oh you know yeah yeah, I don't like this, you know, and it's not like there weren't Aussie songs that I sort of didn't care for before, but this was really like a whole nother thing where I was just like, oh, I didn't like it then, don't like it now. I, as we were getting ready for this podcast, I gave it a cursory uh, listen because I felt obligated <laughs> to listen to the album from beginning to end. But on my second and third listen to this record, as I was driving around in my car doing errands today, I skipped over this one every time, every time it came up. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Um, to your point about no bone movies and it could, should have maybe, or could be considered a counterpart to crazy babies. I think about, you're right. No bone movies is more of a straightforward rock song. It's a, it's a better song, but it's also the levity in between songs that are more heavily weighted with some darker uh, lyrical yeah. topics and some darker sounding music and it, it's good it, and it's placement in the album some people say well it should have been you looking at me looking at you i don't think so i i think the song you looking at me was very underdeveloped and it was a good starting point it was a good b-side to the crazy train yeah. single. but it I, I it didn't make the cut and, and i don't think it should have i think no bone movies is a fun song provides the right amount of levity 
in the context of the album, it's great. I love it. This song, um, we don't need any levity in this album at all because the whole album is basically levity with only maybe one or two songs. Well, actually only really one song that has a more of a somber tone. It's Fire in the Sky. So basically all of the songs are kind of like a no-bone movies. The whole album is basically comprised more or less of no-bone movie sounding songs with darker lyrical content. Um, coming in, so when, when you have an album that's compiled predominantly of songs that are kind of on the higher end of the mood scale, and you want something that elevates it even higher, unfortunately this is where you end up with crazy babies yeah. it's just silly and right up to this point i'm like we're moving you know we've got miracle man devil's daughter and we're cruising i'm thinking yeah all right i'm my, you know i'm ready and the and the vibe is killed with crazy babies it's just uh the riff's cool i mean if you'd applied that riff into a different different structure different melodies different lyrics i mean bob daisley right these lyrics are horrible his but, name's on the songwriting. Actually, everybody in the band gets yeah. a songwriting credit. I think everybody gets a song. No, it's uh, Casillo, Daisley, Osborne, Wild get the writing credit on this one. So I'd like to think who's responsible for the lyrics. If it's, <laughs> I think, I think the, I think it's basically that the Daisley does all the lyrics. It's usually why he's hired. He's usually hired to write the lyrics and to help with the song structures, but predominantly it's lyric writing. And uh, he does, doesn't do a very good job. This is not, I would not put this on my Bob Daisley's greatest hits album. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I like you, I hated it, hated it. And, you know, it, disappointing because this was a number two video on this, from this album. Yeah. And they and then played it a lot. And people sometimes would say, oh, you know, you see these lists that pop up from time to time and people putting like, oh, ranking the songs. Of, and I know you do this in Larry the Alchemist, but somebody, I recently saw somebody ranked the songs on uh, No Rest for the Wicked and they ranked Crazy Babies like third or fourth. And I'm like, what? That'd be crazy. You got to be kidding me. It'd be like, I would even put it on the list. Even the two songs that didn't end up on the vinyl record, Hero and Liar, are like yeah. infinitely better. Take yeah. Crazy Babies off, put Hero on there. Uh, you know, this we, album would have been so much different if, and and I do want to talk about those those bonus extra tracks if liar was right in this place this would have been the perfect spot for it because usually on an ozzy record your third song is usually goodbye to romance or you can't kill rock and roll or you know what i mean like it would have been the perfect spot for for a moody ozzy ballad i love that song i think it is a little bit underdeveloped there's one part towards the end where Ozzy just rings out he holds a note it's a little wonky this is probably before there was auto-tune capability in the studio but even still they probably should have been urged to maybe try that a couple more times before his voice was so it was a little bit underdeveloped and it probably wasn't intended to be on the album or maybe it was but they just sort of stopped it where it was otherwise the liar is a great song it's a ballad and it would have been so much more effective in place of crazy babies so crazy babies gets a thumbs down for me and it's probably the <laughs> only song on this album that gets a thumbs down yeah uh, which is unfortunate but that's where we are 
Okay, breaking all the rules. Uh, I like this one. I think the main riff at the beginning of this is really heavy. That that intro riff, it's it's got a pretty... I don't think he's down-tuned really far with his guitar, but it has a little bit of this kind of like chugging on the low string uh, vibe to it. I like the verse, the way like uh, Bob's bass is doing like this sort of syncopated line in the verse i think that that's really cool i think the lyrics are classic mm-hmm. kind of ozzy you know rock and roll rebel you can't kill rock and roll i don't know you know that this this kind of uh this kind of vibe where he's kind of singing like you know two people i could be just another stranger but to, to you i guess i'm just another fool you know uh um the way Ozzy sort of is sort of singing about himself a little bit you know you hear a little bit of uh, you could picture it being about Ozzy and uh so so yeah I like this one I I I really like that that main riff at the beginning of the song and coming after Crazy Babies which has this sort of uplifting uh light fields happy feel to it for lack of a better word when this comes in uh the beginning of his song i think it's uh it's it's pretty heavy and i and i like it and again man if the liar going into this would have been you know would have just been uh perfect but but as it stands i i do really like it i really like zach's solo in this one i like the way they handle the, the verses i like the whole nobody hears the things i say i mm-hmm. guess that nobody cares my head's so full of things i set my mind free of them i'm breaking the rules i think that's a great uh yeah it's a good it's a good great line. thing there and i like it the way at the end of the song it it uh ozzy sort of drops down in his ranges breaking all the rules that i don't like that, oh, you don't like that? No, I don't care for that. It reminds <laughs> me of like Electric Funeral. He does that on Electric Funeral. He does that at the end of Never Say Die. Never Say when Ozzy goes into that really low uh, bass. Yeah, voice. I don't like that either. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it doesn't ruin the song for me. It, but it's like breaking all the rules. Da, 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 da. I can live without that. It, it gets a little silly. But I like the um, I like the vibe. I, I like the uh, I like the melody. I, I like everything about it. this. I think Bob Daisley does best when he's writing songs about Ozzy, like Suicide Solution, uh, Rock and Roll Rebel. You know, this song uh, does sound like it could have been on The Ultimate Sin if it was produced poorly and if the guitar wasn't as heavy. If you if you change, if you altered it to take some of the the heavy guitar away, replace it with the guitar tone on The Ultimate Sin, I think it would. I think it would fit on that album pretty well. Um, but as it is, it's, it's, it's an improved production quality. It's got a heavy rift. It stomps. The drums are like the, the yeah. kick drum. You can feel it, you know, and the, the low end, there's a, there's a lot of low end. There's a good dynamic range in this song, I think, and it, it helps the song succeed um, because without that, I don't think it would be quite as effective. But it's, it's a good song. has a good energy to it. Um, a little bit of le- less of a happy vibe, but it is kind of anthemic, as you pointed out uh, with Ozzy. You know, I, I nobody hears the things I hear. You know, and I'm I am who I am, and this is what I do, and whatever. Uh, we've heard it all before, but we're hearing it again, and it always works. And we always like to hear that sort of thing. So breaking all the rules is cool. 
Bloodbath in Paradise uh, about the Charlie Manson and the murders. Uh, tons of energy in this one. Uh, in, in, in some ways, this album feels a little bit like a reaction to the ultimate sin where maybe the ultimate sin didn't rock hard enough. You know, this, this one is full of a lot of up-tempo, yeah. like fast, hard driving rockers. And this, this is one of them. Uh, I like this one. I think the lyrics are, are pretty cool. I think Zach's uh, riffs are, are great in this, his guitar tone again. Oh, really jumps out. Uh, the lyrics are pretty cool. Uh, California sun, but you're still in bed and the California rain is turning red. <laughs> no sign of life or the keepers of doom and Charlie and his keepers scarlet room. <laughs> so yeah, it's this, this is a cool one. I'd like this yeah. one. I think it's got a ton of energy uh, to it. And it's, it's breaking all the rules is, is kind of mid tempo and heavy and chuggy on the low strings whereas this one is really bouncy and kind of acrobatic here with zach's uh guitar playing he's kind of flying all over the neck on the riff and in the solo and everything so yeah yeah that's a good way to describe it um it's definitely uh very uh energetic um this subject matter is kind of strange but i guess it works um Obviously, you know, the first time you hear it, you start to put these lines together, you realize that, well, we even mentioned Charlie. So once you figure it out, it's like, oh, okay, this is about Charles Manson. You kind of have to wonder, like, well, what what made that an idea? I mean, what 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 spawned that idea? Why did you know it's okay? So why? Why it's why a song about Charles Manson? But I guess it's just as good as anything else. Um, dark subject matter, certainly dark subject matter um but the song is rocking it's rocking hard riff is fire um drums sound cool it's got you know really and again it's got a great energy it's you could even say it's like ripping uh with some dark subject matter but hey man i don't mind it it sounds a little strange but uh you know the lyrics with the song the energy of the song but I think it's cool. It's um, not the most energetic song on the album, but it's probably the second most. And it starts off side two, and that's a good place for it. Keep side yeah, two. Yeah, good side two opener. I agree. Okay, Fire in the Sky. I absolutely love this song. Uh, this is definitely my favorite song on the album. Uh, I love the mood and vibe of the whole thing. Uh, pretty sure it's the only time we get some acoustic guitar here on this album like in the verses when Ozzy's singing and there's those picked acoustic layered acoustic guitar things it this sounds like something that could have come from the randy era you know i could picture randy playing on this song and this is where i was talking earlier about this thread to bob daisley you know again i could hear this on diary of a madman and mm -hmm. the connection there for me is Bob Daisley. I love the lyrics. The introduction to his heartache began as a child. Uh, fire in the sky. Can't you see that all my castles are burning? Uh, there's not a lot of keyboards on this, but the middle section of this song is great. It sort of modulates and moves around. And there's some keyboards in there that uh, kind of sound like uh, 
you know, choirs, you know, ahs, like people singing ahs and stuff like that. Just really making that middle section sound really moody. And there's a spot where it's everything sort of drops out and Zach's holding out these long notes and the rhythm underneath and do do that, do 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 that. You know, it's kind of like a waiting for darkness a little bit. I mean, this is the, at this point, Ozzy always has an epic uh, longer epic type song on his albums and killer of giants would have been on ultimate sin waiting for darkness diary of a madman revelation mother earth so this sits in that place uh maybe not as good as revelation mother earth or diary of a madman but still this is really good i love this song i love the mood of it at the time i remember and i still feel this to this day but i remember especially feeling this like I wish there could have been more of this on the album, more of this vibe, this, that again, the verses here with the, with the almost classical like guitars, this is as close as we get to a slightly neoclassical feel, feel thing to any of the songs on this record. It's a lot of American hard rock, like you mentioned earlier, blues rock influence type of thing. This has a little bit of a classical feel to it, especially in the middle section, uh, but I love this song. Wish, wish more of the album could have had this feel and vibe to it. This is what I was really looking for as an 18-year-old, wishing that, oh, maybe it'll be like Diary of a Madman or Blizzard of Oz. I was hoping that there would be things with more of this classical, slight classical shading to a doomy, dark, epic uh vibe i wish there was more of this great song it actually reappeared in ozzy set i'm pretty sure i'll look this up while you're talking 15 i think yeah during gus g when gus g was in the band i think they brought this they brought this back out and i think that great idea because it's a it's an awesome awesome uh you know you're talking about ozzy deep cuts uh this is this would be in a top 10 ozzy deep top maybe even top five ozzy deep cut for me so by far the standout uh, track on the album for me. Yeah, I think it was like maybe 2013 to either 2013 or 2015. I was recent. I was watching a clip of it recently because I was like you. I looked it up to see how many times it was performed live, and it was not many. Uh, but it was fairly recently. But by recently, I mean like 10 years ago or so. I think it was like about 10 or 11 years ago. It sounded good. Gus G was playing guitar. Um, when I first got this album. I wasn't really into this song too much. I was really grooving with the with the, the faster songs, the heavier songs. I appreciated it, but I made the mistake. My wife and I were talking about this particular album and this song quite a few years ago, actually, probably about like six years or so ago. And I say that because it's come back to haunt me several times. We were talking about it and <laughs> she said, I like the album, but I really love the song Fire in the Sky. And I said, I'm not really crazy about that song. So every time No Rest of the Wicked comes up, she's like, well, I just love Fire in the Sky, even though I know you don't. I'm like, I do like it. (laughs) (laughs) So, but I like it more now. it's, It's grown on me. And I was listening to it the other night, you know, doing what we, you know, we do is prepare for the album. We were like I said, the last podcast we did, I'll listen to. I have my memory of the album when I first heard it sometime after that. But then I like to listen to it shortly before we do the podcast so I can come in 
perhaps a new perspective on it. So I was I was doing that the other night, and um, I thought it sounded fantastic. I, I love Ozzy's voice, and I've said before that there's times when Ozzy, there's no really in-between uh, feeling with Ozzy's voice. He's either partying or he's on the verge of tears, and he does <laughs> really well. He can He can sing you know, with exuberance and, and have like this great party, having fun and it gets you, you know, in the spirit of things. But man, when he comes down and he sings like something like she's gone, uh, he sings a ballad, man, he can really tear at your heartstrings. And he does that on this, the lyrics, and he really he gets that voice. He gets that tone where it sounds like he's crying on a couple of yeah. lines, you know? And I love yeah. that because that really drives it home. You know, he sells it. Um, the lyrics, even though he, did, he didn't write them, I mean, he owns them. And the production of the song is great. The way it's uh, arranged, perfect. I love the production. It's very lush. There's a lot of things going on in the background. It gives you, it takes you in, there's a lot of atmosphere and it really takes you into the song. Yeah. And it's not just laid out in ballad form it kind of has a cinematic quality to it. And I, I really appreciate that because it really works with the vibe of this song, but yeah, fire in the sky. I like this song. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Darren's wife. Did you hear uh, that? Yeah. <laughs> it's on, it's officially on record yeah. for, for history to note. Uh, just also for everybody to know, it was played in 1988, 32 times, 34 times in 89. It was brought back. Uh, in his set list in 2003, it was played eight times, 07, 16 times, 08, wow. three times, 2010, 17 times, 2011, seven times, and oddly in 2014, one time. So yeah, to my surprise, it's been scattered around here and there and brought back uh, into the band. So 2014, yeah. I think, was the, the clip that I saw with Gus G, and that would have been Gus G. When did uh, Scream come out? That's the only album he played. Gosh, that would have been. Was that 2012? Or was that yeah, 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there. So yeah. it was probably because again in 2010 he played it 17 times, which was which was quite a bit. So uh, yeah, just for me, I just I had wished that man. I wish more of the album could have could have been like this. But otherwise, great song, love it. Uh, Always enjoy it when it comes up in the on the album. All right, next, uh, Tattoo Dancer. Uh, this is another ripper. You know, again, there's a lot of Miracle Man, uh, Bloodbath in Paradise. Uh, Tattoo Dancer is another one that's just got a really kind of aggressive, fast ripping uh, lead. Uh, cool one. Kind of a kind of a kind of a weird subject or uh, title uh, maybe you know subject matter i don't i don't know maybe maybe yeah maybe the lyrics haven't you know when i as i sit here and read the lyrics maybe they maybe they haven't uh aged quite quite as well but uh you know this was oh. the time period that this this came out this type of motley crew style uh lyrical thing i i thought it was odd i remember because i was so used to ozzy singing things like mr crowley or satl and and lyrics like that and then you get this 
it sounds like a motley crew these sound like motley crew lyrics you know well i can hear her moaning like a dog that's on heat <laughs> you know yeah. she never takes no for an answer you know it's just very like uh you know something you'd expect from from Nikki six and motley crew but uh, yeah. so so that's a little disappointing did and i remember that at the time that this is kind of not really like the lyrics that i want i like the riffs in it i like the energy of it uh but it's not really like the lyrics that I want to hear Ozzy singing. You know, yeah. I want to hear him singing stuff like Fire in the Sky or S.A.T.O. or Killer of Giants or Waiting for Darkness. Or I want it to be Hammer Horror or Gothic yeah. uh -huh. or, or whatever, even if it's fun. It's still like no bone movies where it's, uh, you know, or, or a ballad type of thing, like mournful ballads like Tonight this kind of like LA die, you know, stuff that you'd expect to hear from some, some trashy LA band. Yeah. It just didn't, didn't appeal to me. And I, I didn't like it back then. And I, I, it, it hasn't aged any better for me, these lyrics. <laughs> I, <laughs> now yeah. all these years later. I, I agree. When I think of Ozzy and, and the thing I like most about Ozzy conceptually, and I'm, when I'm sitting here and I'm doing this, I, in front of just behind the, the computer i have my japanese versions of blizzard and diary and i have heaven and hell i got three records in front of me and when i look at when i think of ozzy and i look at these albums and it just reminds me of what i really appreciate the most about ozzy and the concept that was it it was uh, early on you know the the atmosphere the album cover on blizzard of oz and then it takes it a step further and you're in a dark damp castle with this uh, chandelier melting candle red candles melting wax and an upside down cross and a stone wall and a wooden door and then yeah. even with bark at the moon you've got a werewolf which looks you know kind of brings to mind the hammer horror quality and the fog and yeah. on the back is the tree and you know as he's all made up in his werewolf garb and, and maybe the music doesn't really coincide with that too much but that was kind of the concept that was achieved early on and that were i guess when whoever was that decided they were going to create an image for ozzy this was the image that that was developed this hammer horror this horror prince of darkness kind of a thing and i like it and i still like it i always come back to it i appreciate that the most about ozzy and i think that the way he sings songs that have dark subject matter. I think when the yeah. music is dark, his voice corresponds really, really well to it. So that's my Ozzy Osbourne in a nutshell. But then we get to Tattooed Dancer. And you're right. I mean, it's like a stripper song. It's something that a stripper would play yeah. when she's in a, you know, twirling around a pole. It sounds <laughs> to me like the dudes were, you know, and I say dudes because I don't, it doesn't sound like this was something, and it very well may be, but it doesn't sound like this came from the pen of Bob Daisley because it is so far, so far from anything yeah, he yeah. has ever written before. And it seems like it's beneath his standard. But here yeah. it is. And it just, the song reminds me of like a Randy Castillo because, you know, he's an LA guy yeah. riding his Harley down Sunset Strip, <laughs> sunglasses, yeah. airfly, no shirt, you know. <laughs> Tattoo dancer, dance for me, bitch. That's another thing I can't stand. That's so cringy. I'm like, I can get yeah. into it. I love the energy of the song. I love the riff. It's all good. It's 
all good. And even the lyrics, I can kind of like, yeah, I, I heard it all before. It, I, it doesn't bother me. I like, you know, maybe I never really liked those lyrics, but I, I maybe was a little bit more impervious to it when I was younger. But as I'm older now, it's it sort of does. It is offensive, not in the content, but it, it's offensive in its stupidity. It's it's offensive in its juvenile quality. As a, as a grown man, I I can't get you know. Yeah. Whatever. So well, yeah, it, it makes but, you realize, like when you were younger, why yeah, you know, but, why it's mostly teenage boys at uh, metal metal shows. Yeah, know? and it's it's, and and it's it because of songs be, like this. Yeah, it seems to be written for that. For that demographic you know a teenage boy yeah not so much you know not not really designating a particular age i don't think music should be designated to being for a certain age group although typically heavy metal is generally attributed to a younger age group and at the time this came out and every ozzy album that we've talked about every black sabbath album that we've talked about we were younger um so you know some things kind of don't age well this this song is not age well lyrically and i don't even think at the time it was one that was destined to age well it wasn't really very good at the time but all that aside uh it's a good song and like i said it's this is the song that's probably the the most rockingest it's the it's the most guitar whatever you want to call it fire you know zach is like on fire ripping this this riff out yeah it's cool, man. I, I like it from that perspective. So I'm not yeah. gonna like skip over it because I want I want to hear the riff. I want to hear the yeah. song. You know, and I can I can I can hang with the lyrics. I mean, I just whatever. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. But what does bother me, and it's kind of cringy, is the tattoo dancer, dance for me, bitch. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> it's I, so bad. It's like, oh yeah. that that's that's cringy. Cringe. And there's there's another line in here that I just can't stand. She's driving me mad. She makes it good to be bad. Yeah. Like, that's so LA so D level LA sunset strip, you know, type of type of lyrics. It's yeah, just, that's it's bad. But that's but like cool. you said, the riffs in it is it again, it has a lot of energy. And uh there's there's a bunch, maybe almost to a fault on this album. There's just too many songs that are this kind of really like ott over the top yeah. type speed level you know they could have maybe have balanced this out a, a little bit better I think, I, I think they were going for something here and i think they achieved it i think they were and as he said and you referenced it too that he did not want to dwell on doom and gloom he wanted something that had more of a, a happier feel something that had a better energy to it and, and that's what the that was the uh the motive here was to get put an album together that that had a had a different kind of energy that had a different kind of concept and it did it and it it's, follows that course the only one that kind of breaks up out of that um motif is the uh fire in the sky and i'm glad we yeah. have it. it does offer a little bit of a, of a dynamic to the overall thing otherwise it would all sound pretty similar um as it is though i mean we talked about we would replace crazy babies with liar as a good third song i i totally agree with that um, I wouldn't take I wouldn't take Tattoo Dancer off the album. I mean, even though the lyrics, are yeah, awful, yeah. I, I think it, it needs to be on the album. I think it serves a purpose on the album. It's cool. Well, you know, yeah. Take take the good with the bad, I guess. All right. Uh, so the album, at least my version of the album, we'll get into that maybe in a second. My cassette version of this of this record ended with Demon Alcohol. Uh, you mentioned. 
Bob Daisley seems to be one of the things he does well is write about Ozzy, you know, <laughs> yeah. here, maybe sort of a nod back to like suicide solution where he's writing about alcohol and thinking about Ozzy here, here is the same thing, but it's really, really direct. Whereas yeah. suicide solution was sort of, you know, covered up with, you know, playing with words a little bit solution, yeah. uh, alcohol solution, you know, that, that type of thing here, it's, it's, it's very direct. And at this point in Ozzy's life, he's, you know, his, uh, he's been in and out of rehab here. He was really struggling with drugs and alcohol, especially around the ultimate sin, uh, time. But, uh, this is another one, a killer ripping riff. It's very much like tattoo dancer in in that sense they're kind of like a one-two punch to sort of knock you out here at the end of this at the end of this album uh i i think it's great i love the lyrics in it i'll wash away your lies and have you hypnotized there'll be no compromise today i'll share your life of shame i think you know my name i'll, I'll introduce myself today i'm demon alcohol you know the way he sort of sings that that uh, line right there, I think, is really cool. And it's just another Zach one, man. Zach is just ripping all over this one. Uh, so, yeah, a cool one, a cool way to, to end the record. I, I kind of like, you know, Ozzy revisiting this sort of suicide solution uh, thing. And to Ozzy's credit, too, that he's able to sing something like this you know i mean he's got to know that it's that it's about him yeah. his struggles i'm sick and tired of your excuses can't deal with yeah. living anymore i'll give you reasons to continue why you lie writhing on the floor i love the way it's sort of like also written from the perspective of the alcohol like the yeah. alcohol is an actual person it's a demon it's an entity that's that's sort of controlling his life and haunting him, which is probably exactly the way ozzy felt at that time yeah, I, I think Ozzy probably appreciates that. I think the more that it is actually based on him, he probably has an easier time, you know, singing it. He probably has a better grasp on it. I don't think he, he's ashamed of anything. I mean, he's, it, you know, he's what you see is what you get with Ozzy. And I, I don't think he's ever kept his, you know, his demons uh, locked inside of anything. I mean, it, it, they're always out there and everybody who's, been involved with Ozzy or knows Ozzy has always seen him at his best and at his worst so you know he's pretty uh comfortable with that so I think he probably uh had a good time with the lyrics and, um the lyrics are dark I like I sound like Bob Daisley lyrics you know it's kind of a it's a suicide solution part two from a different perspective there's some silly things in it I don't like the uh I don't like the chorus, demon alcohol, I'll get you. I don't like that. Or that let's party. Let's you know, party. Yeah. No, I don't like that. And it he even works. references suicide solution. There's a line where he says, uh, I'm sick and tired of resolutions. You've quit me time and time again. Don't speak of suicide solutions. Yeah. You took mm -hmm. my hand. I'm here to stay. So, you know. Yeah. Right. Um, so the concept is good. The lyrics are good. Uh, there's some silly things in it that kind of unfortunately bring it down. But I mean, I can get past that. Like I said, I mean, I enjoy the whole album, uh, warts and all. Uh, I've even gotten to a point where I can, I can get through Crazy Babies without having to skip over it. And I can listen to it. I, I'm not thrilled about it, but it's okay. Uh, likewise, the Demon Alcohol is probably the second cringiest song, <clears throat> only because of the way that Ozzy sings it in those. I don't like the chorus. I don't like the uh, the cartoonish voice that he uses at the end of the lines. And then he also sings like he tries to when he carries a note at the end of that, it's like a little wonky. Yeah. 
you know, he doesn't, he doesn't have that kind of voice to hold notes out consistently. And he does that again in, in The Liar. And we keep references to these songs and maybe people aren't familiar with, with these two songs, Hero and Liar. Hero, you said your tape ended with Demon Alcohol. Mine yeah. was on and Hero was on it. And that confused the hell out of me when I got it. Because it's unlisted on the it's original. Unlisted. Yeah. On the in the J card and on the cassette. And I was yeah. listening to it. I remember I was walking around and I was listening to it in my headset. And all of a sudden, like demon out all like, okay, well. And then, you know, a few minutes we get I picked up the thing and all of a sudden another song starts. And I listened to it. I'm like, wow, this song is great. Love this song. It was my favorite song on The Rest of the Wicked. I love the melody. Um, the lyrics are great. I don't want to be a hero. I don't want to ever let you down. I mean, it just sounds like really sincere, personal, really good. And I think yeah. it's a song that most anybody can connect with, you know, on some level. Yeah. And that's really what's missing on this album. The Liar is a little bit more of a dramatic kind of effect yeah. of these two songs that didn't make the cut, but should have been on the album. The Liar is, is more, a little bit more of a dramatic effect, but I think it's also a concept that people can, it's a no, kind of a sort of an oh, oh, woe is me type of song. Yeah. Uh, but I think most people could connect with that. Um, and it's unfortunate. Maybe the reason was that they were targeting a particular age. They were targeting a particular demographic. And these songs may have been, while they appeal to us, and they did appeal to me back when I was 19, as Hero does, I still love Hero just as much as, now as i do when i was 19 um but i think maybe the thought was that well this that might be a little bit too mature might be a little too boring for the average teenager that's going to be buying this album yeah that's why they were left off they just didn't feel like they had enough excitement um but i think they're two of the best songs from these sessions and i have i bought that elaborate ozzy box set I never got this on record. I, I still have the original cassette that I bought in 88, but I never bought No Rest for the Wicked on vinyl. I had a couple chances and I passed on it. So maybe more expensive than I, it wasn't expensive, but it was maybe more expensive than I was prepared to shell out. So what do I do? I go and I buy an elaborate box set that's yeah. hundreds of dollars. <laughs> but that, that's how I got this. And I, there's no remastering on the box set. Um, the only album that got any kind of a special treatment was No More Tears. It was a double album and it got remastered, but it was not brick walled. Uh, there is some compression on it, but it's not over the top. But I wish one thing that would have made this box set nice is if rather than put all the B-sides and things on a separate vinyl album, which they do. And I, I appreciate that. So The Liar is on side one followed by hero and then there's okay. a song from um the sessions for no more tears i wish they would have made this a double album because it could you could spread it out i mean there's what yeah eight songs on here ten you, they could have spread it out and they could have put a live track or something like that um, but i wish it would have made the album and um both those songs would have made the album but they didn't. So the album, for all intents and purposes, ends with Demon Alcohol. And um, yeah, these are two really, you know, speaking of uh, full uh, 
uh, hero and uh, I almost said the fools no more because that that repeat yeah. but hero and the liar I was shocked when the first time I heard them was when they uh, remastered the Aussie catalog like in the early 2000s it was probably like around 2002 or something like that and uh, -huh. uh this was this was on there and I just thought well it was just like a bonus thing and then when I heard people saying like oh yeah that was on my original cassette I really feel felt gypped because I think it's an awesome song I love that the way Zach is sort of like, yeah. I guess pressing his wah wah pedal yeah. or something, and he's holding out grinds into that. Yeah, yeah, it's really really cool. I think the liar is, a, which was a Japanese bonus track, uh, is is awesome. I love when Ozzy sings ballads, and mm -hmm. to me, this shows like, man, hero and the liar, in in most other bands, those would be the centerpiece of the album. Uh, but here with Ozzy, he's just got such a so many great songs. He's got such strong songwriting that even though I think that they should have been on the album, you know, the the record label or whoever made the decision, you know, is able to to not put them on the record. But I mean, gosh, it just goes to show you that uh, just great, great songwriting that you could have two songs like this that are bonus tracks that are as good as they are. I do wish that they were sequenced. That would be an interesting experiment to resequence this record and uh, see how it would, how it would flow because I think I could picture these, you know, both really fitting in there and you might be right. They, you know, they might've been really going for like, Hey, let's just go with the hard hitters, you know, hit in between the eyes, you know, tattoo dancer, demon alcohol, miracle man, you know, let's just keep it real ripping and, yeah. and up tempo. Uh, well, personally, I would have liked it to have a little bit more ups and downs with the tempos and the moods mm -hmm. and everything. But, uh, but yeah, these are two real gems. When I think of, you know, the Aussie B sides, and Aussie doesn't have a ton of B sides, but he does have, you know, he does, he does have a number of them. These and these are probably yeah. the two uh two best, you know, maybe along with uh you looking at me, looking at you, and uh, you said it all, you know, those yeah. are two really good B sides too. But these these are these are really strong and they're very well produced. It's not like they don't sound like afterthoughts, unfinished, like no. rough demos. Sometimes these Japanese bonus tracks can just be things that are just throwaways, songs they didn't finish, some weird little instrumental thing. Because for, for those who don't know out there, I, I don't know if this is still the case, but I guess there was some sort of thing where with the record labels in Japan, I, I forget what their logic was behind these because everybody had to do these. You had to put these bonus tracks on there and it was some sort of like legal contractual thing with the record labels over there that they insisted on having this extra thing to separate the Japanese versions from, uh, you know, the the other versions of the record. But, uh, you know, sitting here now, in the once the CD age came around and you had the space to put these these things on there, there's there's sort of a lot of gems uh, to to be found there, and these are certainly uh, two of them: Hero and uh, The Liar. So, I think Hero it takes the album out pretty good. It has that chorus at the end. Yeah, it kind of reminds me a little bit of a Hard Road or something. Yeah, because everybody says sort of gang vocals at the yeah. end, and they just keep yeah. repeating it Good as the song close. fades out. I think if we're going to like sequence, put these album album with these songs in the album sequence, I would definitely put here after Demon Alcohol where where it is on the cassette. And you're right though that I would put Liar 
after Devil's Daughter. If maybe in place of Crazy Babies, but maybe I'd leave Crazy Babies on there just just because because of the riff is cool, because of the solo is cool. I don't know. Um, but yeah, those it's unfortunate that those songs didn't make the cut. But um, the other thing I like about Hero is has that and and when I, I talked about that album, that LP that has all the B-sides, it's in the box set. Um, one up the B-side. Yeah. The B-side song to the Bark at the Moon single. Um, that has Jake and he's playing some like a bottleneck slide. Yeah, that's a great this, one too. Yeah, this also has kind of some slide. Wow. Sounds like he's either leaning hard on the wah and like, or something, or it might even be a little bit of a slide guitar type of thing. So it, it kind of picks up kind of that same sort of vibe as one of the B side, which is probably my favorite song from the Bark at the Moon sessions. Um, so I appreciate the guitar playing in the song, but also the melody, the lyrics, everything about it. it it's a 10 10 for me. And uh, unfortunately, we're, we're talking about it because it's, it's a footnote in the album. It's not even part of the uh, official track listing. Yeah. Liar. But. Yeah, definitely worth mentioning. If for some reason you haven't heard them out there, definitely <laughs> check them out. So, all right. Uh, no rest for the wicked. Uh, my final thoughts on it. It's an album that's, that's aged pretty well for me. It's something or something that I did, that I do return to. Uh, there's some elements of it. It's there's some up and down elements to it, you know, for me, there's some stuff on here that I really, really like, uh, there's some stuff on it that hasn't aged particularly well. Uh, it does feel like a return to form for, for Ozzy. It's the end of an era for Ozzy. For me, this is the last Ozzy album that I would buy when it came out, uh, when it came to No More Tears and Osmosis and Down to Earth. I would Those were just kind of like, well, when I have the time and the money, I'll get those. I didn't run out to get those. I ran out to get to get this album. So, so that has those memories for me. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's an album that I enjoyed. I enjoyed uh, revisiting it. It was kind of fun diving into this because it's, it's kind of a little bit of a, again, Ozzy doesn't play a lot of stuff from this record. We're talking to crazy babies was a single and we spent a lot of time. He only ever played that song once live, which is yeah. really the song that's been played the most from this album is Miracle Man at 178 times, Bloodbath in Paradise, Fire in the Sky 118 times, Tattooed Dancer 117 times, Demon Alcohol 17 times, and Crazy Babies once. So it's an album that uh, you know doesn't get represented in Ozzy's set list a whole lot. So for that reason, it kind of feels like one you can kind of come back to and you're maybe not burnt out on any of these songs for me i i think this album even though it came out in 1988 is it just reminds me of the 90s i think it really this is where ozzy's career kind of turned a corner and got into the 90s he was ready for the 90s before the 90s were ready for him yeah now, this album is kind of rep that. representative of that because i like i said i think this is like the precursor to to no more tears in a good way um but i do want to mention though that you know, we, 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 we're talking, we're going in chronological order. And it seems like, with the exception of Blizzard and Diary, there's somebody behind the scenes trying to reinvent Ozzy or trying to make Ozzy current. And in some ways, and actually probably in a lot of ways, that has worked out to his advantage 
when we get into further into the 90s and into the, the 2000s and he did stay relevant um i think ozzy during the 80s was relevant all along but there were some decisions about that he should try to be integrate more with the glam rock scene and or with bark at the moon my observation is that the, the music was sort of um kind of watered down a little bit because maybe there was a somebody made the observation that hard rock wasn't really what people wanted to hear at that time and lo and yeah. behold that same year when the album was released quiet riot released metal health and the dam burst open and all the bands from la and you know hard rock and heavy metal then all of a sudden ruled the scene so but somebody's making some decisions early on and this is another one that kind of suffers from ah eh, maybe maybe suffers too strong of a word but this is one that is that I identify as a different image, a new image for Ozzy. You know, the album cover will kind of show you that. He's not glammed up like he was on Ultimate yeah. Sin. It's a different concept for him. Music's changed. Uh, new guitar player. Same drummer. Bob Daisley's back. He's playing on the album. But Geezer would join on a tour to be part of the Ozzy Osbourne band for the first, I guess, two times came back on down to earth i saw him 95 um uh, you know it's it's another it's like a reintroduction to ozzy osbourne there's no real consistency from ozzy's first album to this one yeah. after this one maybe including this one moving forward is a very consistent image although there was a brief period of time where he kind of went new metal and he kind of had the corn braids <laughs> yeah. like hello fellow children hello fellow kids it's like there's that meme of like Steve Buscemi and he's got the skateboard <laughs> yeah. baseball cap. Hey kids. <laughs> yeah. So Ozzy kind of went, he dipped down into that sort of thing for a little while, but otherwise, I mean, going from this, uh, you, you could definitely say from no more tears to the present tense. He's, he's can maintain a pretty consistent image, but there's like an unnecessary image uh change from album to album and it gets sort of tiresome but i think i think this one it was pretty good i think it was a pretty good decision if there had to be any decision made it was definitely between the ultimate sin and the next album and i think this is a step in the right direction moving forward i think we're on course and but yeah i really like the album like i said when we started out i listened to it about once a month I like it. I like Zach on it. I, I like Zach on this, and I like Zach on No More Tears. Um, we'll get we'll get into that when the time comes. But yeah, I'm pretty positive about No Rest for the Wicked. And of course, the negative things we we already discussed. But overall, I'm going to give it my score on this is going to be an eight out of ten. How about that? Yeah, I'd probably do the same. I'd probably give it like an 8 out of 10, a 7.5 out of 10 if we wanted to get picky uh, about it. But uh, like I said, it's an album that uh, that I've grown to like and appreciate as time has gone on. So, all right. Well, uh, there you go. There's uh, no worse for the wicked. <laughs> you may. Uh, if you uh, can't get enough of me and Darren talking about Black Sabbath and Black Sabbath related topics, head on over to my YouTube channel, Layer the Alchemist. And we do a thing there that we uh, call Sabbath Sunday, where we tackle all kinds of uh, Sabbath and Sabbath related topics, lists, and uh, fun things like that. And uh, if you'd like to 
support the podcast, uh, you can do that uh, by heading over. We appreciate your support here with just listening and, uh, you know, the comments and the messages that we receive from from everybody. So we appreciate that. If you'd like to support us beyond that, you can go to uh, ko-fi.com slash into the void, a Black Sabbath podcast, and you can make a, a donation however whatever amount you would like, anything, anything uh, helps to help cover some of the costs that we have with the, with the podcast. And uh, I'm looking through my notes here. I can't find my notes here with what we got coming up next. I think it might be, gosh, is it because we move chronologically here? Is it going to be Dio lock up the wolves? Maybe, maybe next. I don't know. I don't know. I guess you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to wait in anticipation. If you can't wait in anticipation, go ahead and look. <laughs> no, I, chronologically I think... comes next because because it's probably not Headless Cross. Headless I don't think Cross. Headless, Headless does it Cross. come out before? Does that come out before Lock Up the Wolves? I'm pretty sure it does. Yeah, I could be wrong. It happens a lot. Yeah, you're right. It does. Okay, I got my list here. So our next episode will be uh, Headless Cross. Headless Cross comes out in uh, April of 89 and uh lock up the wolves will be our next one which was originally released in may of 1990 and then we'll be back at ozzy with no more tears which came out in september of 91 all right so that's what you have to look forward to here upcoming on the podcast again uh thanks to everybody we also have a facebook page you can find us on facebook at into the void of black sabbath podcast like us over there Uh, You can send us messages uh, through there. We always like uh, hearing from people and talking with everybody. So so, uh, thanks again. And we'll see everybody at the Headless Cross. And remember, you can only trust yourself, the 19 Black Sabbath studio albums, and Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast.